Hello and welcome to episode 24 of It's Lit But Is It Funny, the podcast where we tickle the feet of literature and see if we can coax it into laughing. My name is Jonathan Pinnock and I'm the author of the Mathematical Mystery series of comic thrillers published by Farago Books, book five of which is now just about to enter the copy edit phase, in case you're wondering. My guest today is the award-winning writer Emily Koch, author of the psychological thrillers If I Die Before I Wake and Keep Him Close. I met Emily on the day I walked into the very first workshop on the Creative Writing MA course at Bathsmire University, and I was very soon struck by three things. First, that she already had an astounding concept for the novel she was intended to write on the course. Second, that she also had the ability to pull that concept off. And third, that she seemed to be approaching the job with an extraordinary level of sheer professionalism. I think out of all of us in that class, I had no doubt whatsoever as to which one of us was going to be first out of the gate. And it was a pretty, it's a pretty strong field because there was Polly Hall as well, as featured in episode 12. She was there and uh, Paddy Edwards, who has now had two books published by Titan and obviously me, but we'll pass over that bit. Uh, Emily's debut novel, If I Die Before I Wake, was shortlisted for the CWA Ian Fleming Steel Dagger Award. And it was also longlisted for the Authors Club Best First Novel Award. It was selected as a Waterstone's Thriller of the Month and was one of Waterstone's top paperbacks of 2019. In 2021, the French translation won the inaugural Prix de Bureau des Lecteurs. Oh, I see. Bilingual stuff. Uh, for crime fiction. Her second novel, Keep Him Close, was described by the Sunday Times as a tense drama. And Literary Review said it was a moving account of family relationships and devastating criminality. The Sun described it as twisty, emotional and addictive. While Waterstone said it cemented her place as one of the most exciting new crime writers of our day. Her third novel will be published in 2023. Welcome, Emily. Hello, thank you. What a lovely introduction. I was wondering what you were going to say about me. I've, I've listened to some of the other <laughs> episodes and, uh, uh, yeah, I was wondering what, what my introduction would be, what you'd, you'd say about uh, how we met and so on. Yeah, those were the good old days, weren't they? Uh, weren't they, weren't they all just? those workshops. <laughs> uh, very, very, very kind things you said. But, um, yeah, I, it's funny. I actually, I've just opened uh, a copy of If I Die Before I Wake and I noticed your you signed it to me on the front cover. To John, thank you for all the criticism and support. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, but I mean, those those workshops were what formed uh, formed that book. And I mean, yeah, I wouldn't it wouldn't have been there without without you all. So I am very very grateful. I mean, I, it I, feels I like it's remember. a long time ago. God, yeah. I, I do remember the, the way you'd sort of listen to what everyone said and you would sort of nod and you'd, you'd jot something down and then you'd move on and there was no sort of pushback or anything. It was, it was, it was very... Was, um, <laughs> no, I just I, had, I, had had voodoo, voodoo dolls of you all at home. I, guess I, saved, <laughs> it. I saved it for then. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's always, it's, it's always good, it's, it's a good test of, of, who, of, 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 of a experienced writer or, or, or a good writer who, who can listen to what people have to say about it and then take it all in and filter out what's important and what's completely off beam, but not sort of to bridle and, and um, react against it. Mm. It's, 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 it's a tricky, it's a very tricky yeah, thing. It is, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I, I learned a lot during that course and seeing how other people did it. But but yeah, I mean, and, and that extends into the industry as a whole and dealing with your editors and your agents mm. Mm. comments and you know you have to be able to take stuff on board and 
and move move through it yeah. with a sense of yeah. humor and bringing yes. it back back <laughs> to uh, back to today's topic Indeed. Um, yeah. we'll talk more about emily's work later on but first we're going to talk about the book she's chosen to discuss which is sorrow and bliss by the australian writer meg mason this choice actually caused some complications as i didn't realize until i went to get a copy that it wasn't out in paperback for another couple of weeks my local library also failed to get me a copy in time, all of which is why this episode is a couple of weeks late. It's also because I'm a cheapskate and don't buy hardback. Anyway, interestingly, if the publishers had delayed for another week or so, the announcement on the front cover that the book had been longlisted for the Women's Fiction Prize could have been replaced by one announcing that it had now been shortlisted. Mm. Uh, but, that, but that would have caused even more problems with the schedule, so it's probably a good thing that they didn't. Anyway, Emily, would you like to give us a quick introduction to the book and tell us what it was that made you choose it? Yes, I am really excited to uh, get talking to you about it as well, actually. I'd be interested to see what you made of it. Mm. So I I was won over, I think, by the, the beautiful cover, uh, which I saw, saw around everywhere, social media, kind of Waterstones emails, all of that kind of thing. It really uh, grabbed me. And it, it really spoke to me as something I just knew that I was it was a book that I would enjoy. You know, when they get a book cover right and mm. they really get the readers that they intend to get. You know, I think mm. they've done a, a fantastic job. Yeah. But it so it is uh, it's a novel by journalist Meg Mason, who was born in New Zealand, but lives in Australia. It's about a woman called Martha who has just turned 40 and split from her husband, Patrick. Uh, and she is trying to make sense of the brokenness, I guess, of her, of her life. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very witty, I think, very, but also very moving and very dark. It is that perfect mix. I mean, the title sums it up, Sorrow, the kind of tragic sorrow of the novel mixed with this comic bliss this 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 style that Meg Mason has uh, these are brilliant observations that she makes and I I was looking at kind of what category you know what category it is what what genre is it meant to be in according to publishers and you know all the sales teams and it's kind of dark comedy uh, it's been described as domestic fiction and Award-winning author Anne Patchett calls it serious literary fiction. So, so uh, really, uh, you know, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it straddles all sorts of genres, and I don't think it fits necessarily anywhere. But I really enjoyed it, and I think when I was preparing for this podcast, I was reading some reviews, as in punters' reviews rather than critics' reviews, and and it, it's it has a real mixed bag of reviews and, and particularly linked to the humour and whether it's funny. You know, people that have picked it up expecting it to be really funny and then they said, oh, but I haven't, I didn't find it funny. I didn't laugh. And a lot of that seemed to be tied to how it deals with mental illness. I think some people felt it to be perhaps a bit blasé and not taking that seriously, which I, I disagree with. It seems to be in some ways a bit of a, you know, a Marmite book and people either just, I mean, I found it laugh out loud funny. It was dark and it was upsetting. And there were moments where I related to some of the difficult bits and I'm sure some people relate even more. But, but it really did 
make me make me laugh and that the way that she describes certain people I just thought just thought was brilliant mm. yeah I, I I loved it and I I found it very funny as well and I, I don't often laugh out loud at things like this, <laughs> but I, I did laugh out loud at one or two things in the book and I, th- I, I thought there were definite shades of Nora Ephron about it. Yes. Because, um, I mean, because we, we, we did we did Heartburn back in episode three with Lev Brickian, and it had the same sort of, the, the sort of constant witty epigrams. Yes. Um, especially when yes. Ingrid's around. There's the sister character. And the, mm. the, the same sort of sense of, of cracking jokes to ward off the dark. Oh, totally, and, yeah. I mean, that's, and, and, that was one of the... <laughs> The things I was going to say is that you, you get these, you, it's full of kind of these very funny anecdotes and I think, oh, you know, you're loving it. You, I mean, you know, it's kind of, it was the kind of book that, you know, made me spit out my tea kind of laugh, you know, like it just creeps up <laughs> and I'll just be a, a, a one liner and you just you kind of guffaw. And then, but then at the end of a paragraph, there'll be just a really kind of quite moving line just to, just to wrap it up, you know, these things that bring it all back then to to the the drama of it and the the heartfelt nature of it but no I I totally I agree that Nora Ephron I've not I've not read any of her fiction but I read um her memoir recently I feel bad about my neck Mm. and I I even having just read that I can see what you mean as a very similar style the way that she talked about her life yes definitely I can see Mm. that that comparison no, heartburn is well worth a read. And mm. although the difference in that, that the, the sort of the dark is coming from outside. Right. Outside her, <laughs> if you like. And, yeah. and this is all, all come from within within Martha, the protagonist, isn't it? Yes. Um, although it's straight, the other strange thing is they have similar jobs, the, the protagonist, because in Heartburn, she is a cookery writer. Mm. <laughs> and this one, um, uh, she's a f- food journalist. So yeah. very similar sort of things. Um, oh, that's interesting. I saw, um, well, I say I saw Meg Mason. She she kind of, she came in via a video link at an event at last year's Cheltenham Literature Festival that I went to. Mm. So because of of this, this kind of pandemic age, they, they had all sorts of authors that, that may not have otherwise been there, to be honest, that they mm. were able to bring in. It was a little, little bit odd, but it, I... I, I was just very interested to see see her talking about it. And she was hilarious, as you probably, you know, you would expect, <laughs> you know, this sense of humour has not come from, from nowhere. And what I really enjoyed her talking about was that this, she calls this a post-hope project in that she was beyond hope. She'd written a book, not, not published, but she'd written a book and it had just been awful. And so this was, well, you know, I'd, you know, what have I got to lose? I'm just going to write this. And I, she, she wrote it, she said, in solitude, without thinking of an audience, and and just wrote just wrote the book that, that she wanted to read. She never expected anyone to read it. She told nobody that she was writing it. <laughs> and I think, I think you get a sense of that, that there's, there's no, I don't think, there's no, there's no self-consciousness in it. There's, mm. She's just writing something that she's enjoyed and things that she's finding funny, things that she wants to explore. Uh, and I think that really comes across. And I, I found that interesting as, you know, as, as a writer, thinking about you know, the, the process, the job that we do, and this idea of this post-hope 
project and writing something that you know you don't tell anyone about sounds very uh, romantic and then I, you know ideally for it then to become a massive bestseller but, uh, <laughs> but no she, she was she was really interesting the way she she spoke about it and it, it's been described as Patrick Melrose meets Fleabag that was Claire Chambers who wrote yes, Small Pleasures can, said that, yeah, I can see that. which yeah. you know which again is a, a perfect description mm. I think you know I've I've not seen the whole of all of Fleabag but the the, the episodes that I've seen, I can see that. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, these kind of painful, intense family dynamics, the, the mother, daughter, the sister, the kind of career, full starts, failures, the emotional demands of having or not having kids, all of that, that mm. comes in. But I think uh, what she also talks about in Cheltenham, what I've read about in critics' reviews and uh, readers reviews this mental illness which is at the center of the book but is never named no it's, it's I don't know, what, what do you, yeah that... what do you think what do you think of that yeah I wasn't sure about it. I, 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 when, when she first sort of introduced it, it, it it's, it's just described as two dashes isn't it mm. and and I was wondering if she was going to reveal that at some point but then she doesn't and I couldn't make up my mind whether it was a cheat or whether it was just very cleverly, a clever way of sort of making it stand for, I don't know, stand for all mental, mental illness. But that is that. And yeah, and I'm I'm with you. An appropriate I'm, thing to do. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing, isn't it? I I uh, yeah. I'm not sure about it either. But I, but it didn't kind of detract from my overall enjoyment. But mm. but I think she she said she doesn't want it to be or didn't want it to be the the in inverted commas schizophrenia book or bipolar yeah. book and yeah as you say wanted it to maybe be about mental mental illness generally mm. and not be tied down to being one of those things but, but yeah she, that, that's kind of the serious side of it she is very good at leaving gaps for the readers of film isn't she mm. yeah can, can, can just rip this one yeah. section was absolutely gorgeous I, I, I love this one Patrick texted me. It was still the day after Ingrid's wedding, the afternoon. Do you like Woody Allen movies? No, nobody does. Do you want to see one with me tonight? Yes. He said he would pick me up at 7.10ish. Do you want to know which one? I said, they're all the same one. I will come outside at 7.09ish. There was a bar at the cinema. The film started, but we never went in. At midnight, man with a mop said, sorry, guys. I, I just love... Love the way she does that. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, she doesn't just, say, yeah, we, we talk for hours and hours and this. Like, no, no, it doesn't say that. It just leaves it for you to sort of fill that in. Yeah. And very beautifully written, isn't it? And the yeah, whole the whole yeah. book is 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 very easy to read, but very, very beautiful. I can I read a, a, a yeah, bit yeah. as well from near, near the start. One thing she does, she's talking about texting her sister. And they always, she always kind of describes what emojis they're using, yes. which normally would do my head in in a book. It would really, <laughs> it really annoys, and it would be really gimmicky and annoying. But the mm. way she does it, somehow she pulls it off. Anyway, here mm. she is. She's talking about a, a gif that they that uh, her sister sent her. So there's a, a gif called Prince William asking Kate if she wants another drink. My sister texted it to me once. She said, "I am crying." 
and they are at some kind of reception. William is wearing a tuxedo. He waves at Kate across the room, mimes the upending of a glass and then points to her with one finger. The pointing thing, my sister said, literally Patrick, though. I wrote back, figuratively Patrick, though. She sent me the eye roll emoji, the champagne flute and the pointing finger. The day I moved back in with my parents, I found it again. I have watched it 5,000 times. And that's, that's an example of this, you know, anecdote. You think, oh, this is, this is fun. This is enjoyable. This is a nice light mm. bit. And then, and then she just kind of like, like blindsides you, you know, punches you with this final line because she's just, yeah. she's moved back in with her parents because her marriage has fallen apart and she's watching this, this gift that reminds her of her husband 5,000 times. And, and that's, that's incredibly sad and poignant. But uh, yeah, I just, but she does that over and over and over again through the book, all these, mm. all these moments of, of, of a perfect mix of the two. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it goes the other way around where she makes a joke at the end of it to, to leaven the, because mm. there's the bit where she sort of contemplates suicide for the first time, doesn't she? And she goes onto the rickety balcony of her, um, uh, is it a parent's house? It is a parent's house, isn't it? Mm. And she stands on it and wonders about jumping off. Then here are the reasons I went back inside. Because I did not want people to think my father was not a good parent. I did not want Ingrid to fail her exams. I did not want my mother to one day make art out of it. <laughs> yeah. <It's... laughs> I, yeah, and yeah. that's, I think, you know, and if it didn't, if, if, if this book didn't have the humour. Oh, it'd be it, grim. <laughs> it, no, it would be, it would be a really hard read, but, yeah. but it, it, it just, it gives you that mix of, of the light and the dark and makes it, you know, makes it readable and makes it so powerful in that way. But I thought uh, what she was really, is, is really brilliant at is the observations, the kind of razor sharp ability to make these astute observations about people, about interactions. Yeah, you know, the mother is, she's described as, or her, my mother was beginning to describe herself as a conscientious objector where domestic matters were concerned. You know, just, you know, not just, you know, she didn't like to clean, you know, like just the yeah. way she way she writes it. And then that bit goes on to talk about how they were, that her parents were decorating their home and how her father was just kind of painting bits at a time so that uh, even now the hallway is a tunnel of terracotta to midway. The kitchen is terracotta on three sides. Parts of the living room are terracotta to waist height. Uh, just the, the sense that gives you of someone is 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 fantastic. And I wish you mm. know, I wish I could, I wish I could do it in such a <laughs> such a good way. Um, yeah. um, uh, Ingrid, her sister, marries Hamish, and when when Martha meets him. Just before the end of the party, I knew she was going to marry him because although he was beside her all night, he did not challenge her on a single point of any anecdote while she was telling it, even though my sister's anecdotes are always a three-way combination of hyperbole, lies and factual inaccuracy. <laughs> um, I just, I just, just loved, loved it. I loved all these little bits. Yeah. She, as she said, she said uh, this is in an interview in the I newspaper, Meg Mason said, I wrote it to amuse myself. I was surprised other people found it funny. Um, <laughs> which yeah, is, the, the, yeah. 
I did the same interview, but there's a quote that says, no one cares if you do it or not. No one needs your novels. The world's not waiting for it. So all of that drive and dedication needs to come from you because literally no one cares in the nicest possible way. Yeah. And that, that but, describes I mean, that the writing is, process, doesn't it? That is, that is what we do. But we think we yeah. think that people do care and that's that's yeah. when you get yourself all tied up in knots and maybe... Yeah. I mean, oh god, we this is this is getting quite deep now, but this goes for the whole of life, doesn't it? You know, like people yeah. don't care. People yeah. don't people do not care. Just just do whatever do yeah. do whatever you want to do. And she she was shortlisted, or well, the book was shortlisted for an Australian literary fiction prize. Hmm. To which she said that she was surprised because she just doesn't think of literary fiction as funny, which uh yes, I know, that's really interesting. You know, you'll have something to say about. I, I mean, I you know, <laughs> yeah. I think it definitely can. I think it gets hmm. it gets dismissed. Funny, I, funny fiction gets dismissed as yeah. not being serious enough, doesn't it? That's that's. I yeah. think that's what the thing is. Um, you know, you've got Marion Keys mm. as a, a prime example. If if well, a if if it wasn't a woman writing it, but b if it was not so funny, you know what 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 would she be categorised as? Because mm. it's very you know very good writing. I think I wonder if the success of the novels taken people by surprise a bit, because mm. I, I was I I, I did I, I did the usual thing and I went, went on Wikipedia. I thought this is, this is going to have a she's going to be on Wikipedia to just grab the, um, the easy biographical notes mm. and she she wasn't she's not no. and and I, I looked at the list of previous winners and shortlistees of the women's prize and I think there's only other only one other book that didn't don't, didn't have its own wikipedia page Gosh. and that's quite surprising um yes. i wonder i wonder if it's this thing that you know it, it's not it, it it doesn't sort of fit in quite fit into the usual categories I don't know no yeah. but 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 I but you know it absolutely deserves its place I think oh, God, on yeah. that list mm, mm. but no that's that's really it's very interesting and I think yeah I, it, yeah it did kind of maybe creep up on people and you 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 think oh, I'm going to enjoy it but you know to be really touched by it as well and mm. for the writing to be so extraordinary uh, I think it's really it's really Hit, hit a nerve with people I mean yeah. I, I I similarly to you I don't buy hardbacks generally I <laughs> did I buy it no my husband bought it for me as a birthday present last year because I'd been right. going on I'd been going on about <laughs> it so much saying I really like the sound yeah. of this book and so that was it was unusual for me to actually I'd bought it on for my Kindle because we were going on holiday and then because he bought it in the hardback I couldn't then read it. I didn't want to take a hardback on holiday. So I had to wait until I'd come back from my holiday. <laughs> so it was actually, it was worse. I really wanted to read it, but I thought I can't, right, I'm going to have course. to read, read the yeah. proper, proper version as it were. Um, yeah. But it, it must have, I'm wondering if it took the publishers by surprise, the fact that we got onto mm. the shortlist, because it's really weird that it's, the paperback came out literally, was it literally a week before, the shortlist was announced and you mm. think if they felt that they had a decent chance of getting on the shortlist they might have held off a bit yeah it's no, it's, well yeah exactly as you say to 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 be able to put it on the cover yeah mm. who knows yeah. <laughs> who knows how these things work but, Mind um, you, the print, print will probably sell out uh, yeah well 
quickly yes, anyway, exactly. so it'll, it'll soon have shortlists on the cover. But I mean, <laughs> it's it sparked this this whole. I don't know if you've seen them around, but this whole a trend of these covers of kind of well dressed yes. uh, women, apparently distressed, faceless, yeah. so that covering their face with their hands or face against a wall or mm. face planting into a sofa or a bed or a cake. Um, <laughs> yes, kind of like just this, yeah. this kind of image of of life in chaos. Uh, women in their 20s so, and 30s. So I, was, it, this, was this the first one then? I think it was, oh, yeah. Wow. I think it was. Right. And then just since then, they're, just, they're everywhere. And that's yes. you know, that's the way, that is the way that the, the the book industry works and, the, you know, these cover designs mm. work. Um, oh, yeah. But, but I, th- I think, I think, don't, I mean, don't quote me on it. I think this was the, the first <laughs> But I mean, what a quote! My my hardback on the cover has Anne Patchett saying, "I was making a list of all the people I wanted to send it to until I realised that I wanted to send it to everyone I know." <laughs> yeah, I mean, that um, is quite. And it's just it? it's one of those it's one of those books I think that 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 has that universal appeal. I'm glad mm. you enjoyed it. It feels like quite um, yeah, no, it's I, a weight I, off my mind to make <laughs> you read something. Oh no, uh, I hated it. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> just imagine it. No, I'm. I'm, I'm it's it's probably. I, I'm not one of these blokes who don't read books by women, but no. I, I might not have picked it up if you hadn't of no, attention I, I, to it. So, so I, yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's no, great. Good. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, it was fun. It was fun for me to 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 revisit and think about it in a bit more depth as well. So, thank mm. you. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about uh, talk about you. So you started off as a journalist. Is that right? I did, yes. Yeah. Was was that an ambition from early age? Do you, do you sort of run the journalism with a notebook and that sort uh, of thing? No, no. I it was. <laughs> I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books. Mm. Yeah. I very precociously try, used to rewrite Shakespeare plays. Oh, I say this. I didn't rewrite <laughs> Shakespeare plays. I rewrote. I rewrote children's. But abridged versions of Shakespeare plays, so they were kind of very diluted. That was my. That was kind of something. I had, a, had an amazing primary school teacher who got us into Shakespeare, some like children's retellings of Shakespeare at the age mm. of probably eight or nine, and I was off. I just I loved Shakespeare <laughs> from that point. Um, so that sounds really pretentious, but that was that was kind of no. early early writing, and then I just and and I. I just always knew that I would somehow try and write a book one day. And mm. that then became journalism through uh, trying to find something to do with writing that was a career, I guess. And uh, I started off, I worked, I, I grew up in Cheltenham and I worked at the Literature Festival on, they had, used to have this daily review paper, which you would have loved. It was very uh, tongue in cheek. It was called mm-hmm. Literally Speaking. And we had a lot of fun with it, writing these kind of very short, obviously we thought they were hilarious reviews of, of events. So I started with that and then the guys running that got me doing reviews. I went and worked at Glastonbury doing reviews for the Glastonbury website. And then I kind of, I, I got into local journalism. So I worked at the Bristol Post for about eight years and and that was, yeah, that was my kind of core of my journalism career. But I always knew that what I wanted to do really was write a book. And so in the final couple of years of that job, I was trying to write a book. And I 
I was I mean I don't know how people do it especially when you've got a job a day job that is writing and computers and then coming home in the evening and weekend to do the same yeah. I found really tough and I was lucky to be in a position where I I was able to take a year out and go and do this creative writing MA that we did together and so that's what I did in order to try and get this book written I thought I'll give myself a year and and, and then see where I'm at at the end of it and luckily by the end of it I had I had a decent draft and I knew I kind of I knew from people's reactions to it when I told them about it I knew that it had legs I knew that yeah. it had a strong chance of 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 getting getting somewhere so I kind of I kept on with it and about six months after the end of the course I had my agent and we kind of mm. we went from there so yeah that was how I got into doing this yeah I mean as, as soon as you explain the concept of of the book in in one of those workshops I thought oh my god that is that is really good and that, that that's gonna fly and yeah it had taken some time to get there though so when I you know if I told mm. you if I'd if you'd spoken to me even six months earlier, it wouldn't have sounded as strong. It was in so so. If I die before I wake is about a man who has locked in syndrome, so it's kind of coma state. Uh, if you don't know what locked in is, and he discovers that the accident that put him in hospital was not an accident, and that someone has tried to kill him, and he's trying to work out through the course of the book who who has tried to kill him and what is going on. But initially it started out as the story of his girlfriend and it was a story about the, the girlfriend and family of someone who is in a coma and how how does life go on while you have someone that you're kind of waiting for waiting for them to wake up right. and it was a lot about it was this young couple in their 20s and the girlfriend and you know, after a couple of years of her partner being like this, you know, at what point does she start to move on? So it was, it was, it was the same. Co- that concept does run then through what what now is the book, but but it was very much more about her. And then at some point, I I just suddenly thought, well, what if I could tell it from his perspective? Would that be mm. really weird? <clears throat> and oh, you, you, and you it went from break, there. You have to break one or two rules, don't you, to do that? Yeah, yeah. You, you get away with it. That's yeah just about but I wouldn't again I wouldn't have done that I, I wonder if I'd write that book now because I didn't realize at the time that I was breaking those rules really <laughs> I you know and and people say oh a, a male I mean it's all told from his perspective there's no other voices hmm. uh and it's a male character and I get a lot of people saying well that's you know to you know to write a male character you know especially first book and no other voices and and I, I don't think I realized that that was something that doesn't often get or doesn't that often get done or or that raises some eyebrows I just just did it because that was the story that I wanted to tell and mm. this was you know so all these things that that people say oh that was an interesting thing or a brave thing to do I, I always say well <laughs> it was because I didn't have a clue what I was doing <laughs> but that's there's a there's a well, often that's the best thing in that. well exactly you know it goes yeah. goes back goes back almost to what Meg Mason was saying in all these interviews mm. that yeah. you know writing just writing something writing this story that you want to write and not really worrying too much about how how it will be received 
yes so yeah no I definitely broke a few rules <laughs> it was fun <laughs> so you, you got your agents it's about six so six months after the, mm. the course ended was it did it follow on from that uh that uh, launch party we had for the anthology. That was a weird. It event. didn't. It didn't. No, I got my agent. There was an event that we that I went to as part of the MA. Um, there was a, a very literary historical fiction author called David Malouf talking. I went to see him speak, and hmm. I had an empty chair next to me in the room. And about Ooh, halfway through, right. halfway through the event, this guy walks in, and. Uh, sits down next to me in this empty chair and I didn't know who I knew most of the people in the room because it was all people that were on this course and I didn't know him and I thought you know who is he just walked in halfway through that's a bit weird and then he sat there on his Blackberry for the rest of the uh, event emailing which I thought was again very odd and you know why would you show up and then not listen and then he was leaning over my shoulder reading I was making notes and he was very obviously kind of looking what I was writing and so I started writing in shorthand which I had to <laughs> know as a as a, a, a news journalist and I thought well, this you know he won't be able to read this so I started writing in shorthand and then as we got up to leave at the end he said oh so um how how come you know shorthand then so he wasn't even pretending he hadn't been looking over my shoulder. And then we had this lovely chat and I did, still didn't know who he was. He said, oh, so are you on this MA? I said, yes. He asked me about the book I was writing. I told him, I mean, I can't remember to this day really what I said, <laughs> but I made it. I think I drew, I drew comparisons with this author we'd been listening to who was very literary, serious and not at all what, what my book was like. And and then eventually he said, oh, and then what did you think of David? So this author, David Malouf. And I thought, well, this is when alarm bells started sounding. So I thought he said that like he was his mate. Like, oh, who is, who am I talking to? How does he know this guy? And I said, you know, I enjoyed, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the talk. And he said, oh, yeah, so he's one of my authors. I'm his agent. And he said, I'm Peter Strauss and I'm with Rogers Coleridge and White. And then I just, I kind of lost the plot at this point because you, you hear, you hear about these, these Whoa. moments that you get yeah. as a, as a, as a budding author to, you know, a chance to make an elevator pitch, as they say, yeah. you've got in an elevator mm. with, with an agent and you've got to sell them your book. And I'd had all this time and what That's... on earth had I been saying? And, you know, what, <laughs> what, I, what have I done? And I didn't know. Peter's name but I knew the name of the agency I knew they were a good agency mm. um and then uh he started asking me what I what um what was I reading and I said oh I'm uh, uh I'm writing an essay about Don DeLillo at the moment and he said oh yes when I was a publisher at Picador I published Don DeLillo and Cormac McCarthy and he started listing all these authors <laughs> and I was like oh my word what is going on and then, and then he gave me my his email address. He said, "Send me the book when it's finished. I'd like to read it." And he left. And I was the only person he spoke to. I think he's maybe yeah, said hello right. to his author, who he'd come to kind of show support. And then he left, and and everyone kind of was after saying, "Was well, who was that?" And I was always he was an agent. And then everyone was like, "Well, where is he? Where is he? Where can we go and speak to him?" And I said, "Oh, he's gone." <laughs> and it was just this bizarre, bizarre meeting. And we kept in touch. And then he was one of the agents I sent my book to, mm. and as they say, the rest is history. So it turned out he's a very kind of well-respected agent and 
uh, represents Kazuya Shiguru and Kate Atkinson and Colm Tabeen and and me, uh, wow. <laughs> which uh, always always astounds me that um, that 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 I'm on his books. But but there we go. So yeah, that was a it was a very funny kind of start to our our agent author <laughs> relationship. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful. I can't story. believe I've not told you yeah. that story before. No, I, I, I never knew that story. No. <laughs> I've told everyone else I know. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I do remember that um, when we were when we were sort of introduced to the agents at the um, uh, the launch party for the anthology from the course, and that that was uh, that that was um, it was like every every teenage party of nightmares. <laughs> Because yeah. the, the the ones who who, are, who have sort of been the, the agents have probably go to it primed with the list of the ones they want to talk to, and the other ones are sort of dancing by themselves in the corner. And <laughs> there's there's one bit where it was almost as if my mum had walked in and asked one of the girls to dance with me, because oh, yeah, Ma- Ma- Maggie, Maggie G, bless her, uh, <gasps> Calls one of the agents over and says, well, "Would you like to talk to, to talk, talk to Jonathan?" <laughs> and it's oh, I could. It's, it's a terrible evening. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> yeah, those those yes. things are not are not particularly pleasant, are they? No, no. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so so you 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 got your agent. Your first book was published very successful and won prizes and things. So you you got. Book two, you, you, hmm. is it, presumably, was it a two-book contract you had originally? It wasn't, no, it was a one-book contract. Oh, and right, then okay. when And then when If I Die was about to come out, we were in talks about uh, another book, and so I then got a contract for books two and three. Right, so, okay. So that's how mine has, has worked. So then, yeah, my second one, Keep Him Close, came out uh, just before the first lockdown. So it was awful timing, really, mm. Um but uh, everyone has had a bit of a, a tricky time. It, I mean, obviously worldwide, but in publishing, you know, uh, pe- even people that managed to delay their book coming out, you know, nobody, you know, there's been a two year period where it's been very difficult to bring books out. But it, you know, it's, it's done OK. And, um, you know, I was I was very pleased with the book. It felt it felt like my writing had got better. Mm. Um, oh, I enjoyed it. So yeah, this this one was about the friendship between a woman whose son has died and the mother of the boy accused of his murder. And it, this one so has both of these women's voices alternating throughout, which was a new thing for me to 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 grapple with in terms of narrative style, which I really enjoyed. And yeah, both both books set in Bristol, where I live, uh, which I really enjoyed doing and but for my third third book which is out as you say next year uh, I've I've set it somewhere else entirely which has been quite refreshing so yeah it's set kind of down down by the seaside and uh, in a kind of unnamed Cornish slash Devonshire village Um, it's a kind of mix of a few places that I know which was quite nice to not not be um, tied to a real life place for once. Mm. So, I mean, as far as research for for books is concerned, do, do, mm. you, do you do a lot of that? Does that? I mean, does your sort of journalistic background inform that sort of aspect? Mm. Of it? I mean, yeah, I, I definitely I do I do research. I kind of set myself 
a limit on how much research I'm allowed to do before I start writing uh, just to stop it from becoming an endless uh, <laughs> exercise in procrastination but I do I do I mean the first my first book the one about the man with locked in syndrome I read a lot of memoirs about people that had, had locked in and either come out the other side or had managed to write these these books while still being locked in incredibly uh, using various techniques but that was the massive part of research for that for the second book I yeah I interviewed the main part of research for that was kind of interviewing mothers of mothers of sons in prison I spoke to through a, a charity and, and and kind of women that as in the book the the young lad that is on remand accused of of, of murder he's never been in trouble before so I spoke to a lot of kind of families where it came completely out of the blue and it's you know a son who's never done something wrong before but has got maybe mixed up in something and so you know they're not criminal families and it's a quite an interesting dynamic you know then how their friends treat them and people telling me how you know people would cross the street to avoid them and mm. um and you know like what it was like visiting their sons in prison and the phone calls and the worry so that was very interesting and very helpful and I also I drove across to Surrey to interview a woman called Vi Donovan whose son Chris was brutally murdered I think I can't remember the exact year but early 2000s a, a gang high on drugs set upon him on his way home from a night out beat him up left him in the road where he got run over twice and died and she I, I got in touch with her through another charity and those aren't the circumstances of the death in in my novel but I wanted to speak to some someone who had you know lost a son in a kind of a, you know a violent sudden way and how that then affected her and her family I mean the story she told were incredible and she uh, the way I got in touch with her was because she now does a lot of work with her husband about around forgiveness because she mm, and he met with three of their son's killers about, I think, 10 years after the event and mm. forgave them, spoke to them, wow. sat down with them as part of kind of restorative justice and forgave yeah. them. So she was an incredible woman. So, yeah, so these kind of interviews are definitely things that I probably have confidence to do due to my journalistic career and definitely form a big part and for my for my third book the biggest part of research has been I've set it in the mid 90s because I started writing it at the start of the pandemic and as the uh, crime author Val McDermott said I, all of us writing at that time the present was like quicksand and I, I couldn't I couldn't kind of I couldn't set what I was writing then I just couldn't get my head around what world that was and so I went back back to the mid-90s which was not something that I'd you know every book the, well, the two books I'd written before were set very you know that year that they were coming out essentially so the big part of research has been remembering the 90s and what we were all up to and the things we were into and that's been a lot of fun yeah interesting so yeah so that's that's the third one and yeah so I'm looking forward to that one coming out it'll be it's about a 10 year old girl called July who is trying to find out what happened to 
her mother who died when she was very young and yeah set in 1995 so lots of does it have a title that uh, we can say or is it well uh, it's 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 still under wraps it does have a title (laughs) but hasn't been hasn't been announced yet right okay Um, but no, I'm very, very excited about this. I'm yet to see, I'm looking forward to seeing a cover as well. That'll be a fun, a fun moment. That, that's that's always a good moment, isn't it? When the cover, yes. When you see the cover yes. the first time. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing my, my next cover. So yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to um, the next book coming out. Oh, thank and, you. Because uh, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, both, both the other two. As, thank as, you. As, as, as I was going to say, keep, keep them close. Certainly the, the sort of sense of of what of how it feels to either have a son brutally killed or mm. and uh a, you know, son who may have killed someone mm. it, it it the 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 feeling of, the, of that is is, is very it, it's it's very real it's it's, it's very come, come well i mean it, it's it, you know as a you know you're a, you're a parent i'm a mm. parent it's 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 something that awfully you know it could happen Mm. either of those things could Mm. happen to any of us and I think that's that's what I think it really spoke spoke to speaks to people you know you can you can you can you know what what you you just think what you know what would I do and how would that feel it's a pretty awful predicament to be in makes it sound incredibly depressing as a novel which hopefully <laughs> hopefully no. hopefully it isn't there are there are moments of of lightness yeah. of light but mm. but yeah it's a it was a really I found it very interesting to think about both those scenarios on both sides yeah and thank you well thank you for coming along and thank you very much for introducing me to sorrow and bliss no thank you for having me it's been lovely to talk about it yeah all right well this place is intended to be free from adverts is it paid advertiser anyway but if you've enjoyed this episode please feel free to reward us by buying our books emily is on twitter as emily koch and her website is at emilycoch.co.uk i'm on twitter as john pinnock and my website is at jonathanpinnock.com this podcast has its own twitter account as litbutpod and dms are open or email me on litbutpod at gmail.com and do please rate review and subscribe so that other people find out about all the fascinating stuff here you'll find this podcast in all the usual places Next time, I'll be talking to the brilliant writer Nick Perring about John Classen's The Rock from the Sky. See you then.